0: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, January 31st episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Since December 2018, Poets and Muses has featured more than a 100 poets from 8 countries on 5 continents. To ensure that we continue featuring poetic voices from diverse backgrounds, please support us by going to poetsandmuses.com forward slash donate. Today's episode features my chat with Atlas Saint Cloud. Before we turn to that, however, I am going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of February 1st. On Monday, February 1st, from 8.15 p.m. Amsterdam time, Labyrinth will be hosting its weekly open mic, and you can find out more information at labyrinthamsterdam.nl forward slash pound events. Again, that's labyrinthamsterdam.nl forward slash pound events. From 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, City of Asylum will be hosting their Haki Mahubutsu taught by women, poems as resistance language. You can find out more information and register at cityofasylum.org. Again, that's at cityofasylum.org. From 7.30 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the Writer's Center will be hosting their Cafe Muse featuring Lindsay Lusby and Charlotte Matthews. You can find out more information and register at Writer.org forward slash reading hyphen events. Again, that's writer.org forward slash reading hyphen events. From APM Central Standard Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground We Play Clean open mic via Instagram live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's at poets underscore playground underscore. From 7 to 8:30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, the Los Angeles Poet Society will be hosting their meditation Monday writing workshop with Alex Petunia. You can find out more information at the Poetic Petunia on Instagram. Again, that's at the Poetic Petunia on Instagram. Petunia is P-E-T-U-N-I-A. On Tuesday, February 2nd from 3 to 5 PM Eastern Standard Time. Urban Word NYC will be hosting their first draft open mic for those between the ages of 13 and 23. It's a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh. You can find out more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org forward slash first draft. From 8 to 10:30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Alexa Lash and Kiana Major will be hosting their creatively undistanced open mic. You can find out more information at Major Muse on Instagram. Again, that's Major Muse on Instagram. Muse is spelled M-U-Z-E. From 9 p.m. Central Standard Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground. We play dirty open mic via Instagram live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's poets underscore playground underscore. On Wednesday, February 3rd from 6 p.m. Amsterdam time, Word Up Amsterdam will be hosting their Inspiration Factory writing workshop by Janice. You can find out more information and register at Wordupamsterdam.weebly.com forward slash workshops again that's www.wordupamsterdam.weebly.com forward slash workshops from 8 30 p.m beirut time sidewalk beirut will be hosting their online open mic you can find out more information either at sidewalk underscore beirut on instagram or at sidewalk beirut on facebook Again, that's either at Sidewalk underscore Beirut on Instagram or Sidewalk Beirut on Facebook. From 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Beyond Baroque Library Arts will be hosting their Poetry Workshop with Beth Ruscio. You can find out more information and register at beyondbaroque.org forward slash free underscore Again, that's beyondbaroque.org. Forward slash free underscore workshops dot html. On Thursday, February 4th, from 9 pm Paris time, Paris Lit Up will be hosting their weekly open mic. You can find out more information at parislitup.com forward slash open hyphen mic. Again, that's parislitup.com forward slash open hyphen mic. From 6.30 to 9.00 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the Hudson Valley Writers' Center will be hosting the fourth of their sixth session, Find Your Poetic Voice with Amy Holman. You can find out more information and register at writerscenter.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's writerscenter.org forward slash calendar. From 7.00 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Politics and Prose will be hosting their Breaking Bread with Kwame Alexander, Veronica Chambers, and Marie Arnold. You can find out more information and register at politics-prose.com forward slash events. Again, that's politics-prose.com forward slash events. From 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, the Los Angeles Poets Society will be hosting their monthly Tonali Thursdays open mic. You can find out more information at lapoetssociety.org forward events. Again, that's at lapoetssociety.org forward events. On Friday, February 5th, from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. British Time, Poetry LGBT will be hosting their Speak Your Truth writing workshop, you can message Andrina Leanne on Instagram to find out more information at survivor.andrina.leanne. Andrina is spelled A-N-D-R-E-E-N-A. Leanne is spelled L-E-E-A-N-N-A. From 7 p.m. West African time, Graciano and Worm will be hosting his Corona versus Open Mic via Instagram Live at Graciano and Warram. That's spelled G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. Again, that's G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. From 7 to 8.30 Eastern Standard Time, the Writer Center and Washington Writers' Publishing House will be hosting This Is What America Looks Like anthology release featuring Leslie Pietrzejk. Ahmad Wright, Christopher J. Griggs, Katima Lee, Reggie Kabiko, and Natalie E. Ilum. This will be hosted by the editors Caroline Bach and Jonah Kosen. You can find out more information by visiting writers.org forward slash reading hyphen events. Again, that's writers.org forward slash reading hyphen events from 7 30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Words Out Loud will be hosting their open mic and literary trivia featuring Derek N. Otsuji and Mark Taran. You can find out more information and register at bit.ly B-I-T forward slash 3 iendrmwol Again, that's bit.ly forward slash 3ie N-D-R-M-W-O-L. Make sure that N and W-O-L are capitalized in that URL. On Saturday, February 6th, from 9 to 11 p.m. Moroccan time, Moroccan Poets will be hosting their open mic via Instagram live, at Moroccan Poets. Again, that's at Moroccan Poets. From 5 to 5.30 p.m. Arizona time, Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting their monthly Speak Poet Saturday via Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. Again, that's at Arizona Masters of Poetry. On Sunday, February 7th, from 3 to 4 p.m., Alaska Standard Time, the Alaska Quarterly Review, will be hosting their Pièce de Résistance benefit reading featuring our past poet guests Felicia Zamora, Peggy Shoemaker, And Moira Simon. You can find out more information at aqreview.org forward slash events. Again, that's at aqreview.org forward slash events. From 5 to 7 p.m. British time, Poetry LGBT will be hosting their open mic. You can find out more information at Poetry LGBT either on Facebook or Instagram. Again, that's at Poetry LGBT, either on Facebook or Instagram. From 6 to 8 p.m. Paris time, Paris Lit Up will be hosting their monthly writers workshop. You can find out more information at parislitup.com forward slash the hyphen writers hyphen workshop. Again, that's at parislitup.com forward slash the hyphen writers hyphen workshop. From 5 to 6 p.m. at Eastern Standard Time, City of Asylum will be hosting their free association reading series. You can find out more information and register at cityofasylum.org. Again, that's at cityofasylum.org. And now let us turn to our Poet Guest of the Week, Atlas St. Cloud. Welcome to Poets and Muses, Atlas. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Of course,
0: of course. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, I'm Atlas St. Cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been writing for, honestly, my entire life. I started out with short stories when I was, like, nine years old. Mm-hmm. My first short story had to do with Blood Rain when I was nine. It had this Were you really... watching Blade? Surprisingly, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it had this really long weird title that I don't remember and it was a short short like three paragraph story and then my love for writing just expanded from there Mm -hmm. and then in high school I took a creative writing course Mm -hmm. and poetry just exploded from within me basically it was incredible I just started writing and I haven't stopped since then
0: wonderful were you directed to write poetry, or you were giving free reign during that creative writing? Class?
1: The creative writing class was a poetry class, basically. So we would be given a topic, or at least like a form of poetry, mm. like prose or a ballad or something like that. Right. And from there, we would have to write something. Our last final project was an epic poem, Ooh. and everyone was writing these epic poems about great battles and everything, mm-hmm. I decided to do mine on Inner
0: Demons. Interesting.
1: So it was like... Well, that new, is a battle. Exactly. It was a new take on an epic battle, mm-hmm. an epic poem. And it actually was the poem that got me into a college poetry class. Then mm-hmm. It was an intermediate poetry class, mm-hmm. so I was supposed to have a prerequisite, right, but right. I didn't have that prerequisite. Pre rec, so I just showed her that poem and she was like yes I want you in my class so I was able to get into that class and Mm -hmm. from there I took that college class and Mm -hmm. that was the last course that I took within poetry and I learned so much I mean I kind of abandoned everything that I learned but I grew as a poet from Mm -hmm. that course and then from there I just continued to learn myself and my own style instead of sticking to what was taught to me right right yeah
0: yeah you always have to go off on your own right? like developing your own voice developing what's comfortable for you
1: exactly instead of sticking to what was taught to you instead of sticking to like the whole sonnet Mm -hmm. thing like Mm -hmm. I hate writing sonnets (laughs) (laughs) I hate it so much like (laughs) I have this one sonnet that I love it's an Icarus sonnet Because Mm. I'm obsessed with Icarus. I have an Icarus Mm. tattoo. It's a thing.
0: Yeah.
1: So I have an Icarus sonnet, and it's one of my favorite poems I've ever written.
0: Mm. And it's a
1: sonnet, which is surprising because I despise sonnets. (laughs) But it's beautiful in its simplicity.
0: Mm. And Mm. I
1: think that's the thing that I had to learn about sonnets, is Mm. that they can be simple. Right. Because I was... Making them out to be this giant, huge enemy in my head. Right. When really all I had to do was sit down and write.
0: Mm -hmm. And sometimes certain subjects lend itself to certain forms, right? Or at least that's the way to me. I just wrote something in Elizabethan. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <English>. Oh, <laughs> I'm like why why did I come like that but it, it did and I was just like oh yeah fine whatever let's do it
1: let's just do it yeah, yeah yeah
0: very much so it's sort of like quote unquote the muse shows you the way and you're just like fine let's go with that you're and like, see what happens
1: let's just I may as well I yeah. mean don't worry about it you may as well do it
0: <laughs> exactly see what happens you brought us today your poem your heavy heavy heart would you like to read that
1: yes i would wait your heart is fit to burst but what explodes outwards isn't sinew and decay no it's hemlock and nightshade and thorns they link together like daisy chains and they just keep coming falling out of the cavity of your chest like some kind of magic trick but there's no twist at the end there's no end in sight at all Just daisy chains made of blood and deadly shrubbery. Your lungs aren't made of tissue, no. They're made of lead and titanium and so many tiny little gears, so, so heavy, dragging you down. The air can't properly flow. They're malfunctioning and overheating, a machine that's been built wrong. Your lungs are rusting from the inside out, and though it is strong, even titanium can break. Your brain is like a stained glass window. Just one pebble thrown can cause a minute fracture. And from that fracture comes more and more until it finally shatters. Your brain is like shattering glass. The pieces cut and make you bleed golden light, but they cut you all the same. Your hands aren't just bone and muscle and nerve endings waiting to be put to use. No, they're the elements all in one place. Fire for smoking. You inhale the chemicals and breathe out all the toxicity in your mind. Water for the flow. You play the piano and you make shapes with your gestures when you speak. Occasionally, it gets cut off in the cosmos. The never-ending void swallows you up, but you always find it again. Air for the tremor, you are an earthquake of a boy, an earth for grounding. Sometimes you scratch, and sometimes you bleed, but sometimes, sometimes you create. You are bloody, deadly flowers. You are rusty metal falling apart. You are a beautiful glass made to shatter. You are the magic of the universe. You are a golden light shining in the darkest place on earth. You are just a boy, no more than human, more than a little fucked up. All these pieces fit together, somehow. You fit, somehow. You will find a way to survive, somehow.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. This is the second time I heard it. I really appreciate being able to read it as well as to sit down with it and then hearing you read it again with the benefit of more silence and not so much stimuli in the background. It just conjures up this sort of semi-Victorian steampunk picture for me I don't know if that's what you had in
1: mind it's so cool though because the gears and the flowers and the shattering
0: yes it's that ornate as well it's that sort of period before the industrial revolution but we're getting into it you know but that's where steampunk kind of comes in right it's thinking about keeping the old ornate and then using gears and using all these metallic aspects the missionization I don't even know what <laughs> I'm saying, right? It just really made me think of that, all of these things. I also think of humans as biomechanical machines in many ways. Yeah. Um, because we also have, in our own ways, we have gears, though they're not made of metal. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is that is that something that you, it was deliberate? It wasn't or? deliberate,
1: but I love the way you thought of it.
0: Wow.
1: <laughs> wow, okay. That's so cool because... Oh, I'm just, that's so cool. Um, Okay, so the steampunk aspect is really awesome because I went through a phase where I was kind of obsessed with steampunk. Mm -hmm. Like, I bought a steampunk tarot deck. That was actually my first tarot deck. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, my first tarot deck ever was secondhand, and I bought it. Mm -hmm. It was my first tarot deck ever, and I bought it secondhand at Bookman's. Mm -hmm. Um, And that got me into this steampunk thing for a little while where I was kind of obsessed with it. It was awesome. Just the gears of it, Mm -hmm. the way it all fit together. Right. It was awesome. So the fact that it somehow subconsciously made its way into my poetry is really cool. And for you to point it out is even (laughs) cooler.
0: Was it around the same time? No, it
1: was actually probably like three or four years ago.
0: Oh, okay. So this is... And this
1: poem was written probably three months ago.
0: Okay, okay. So I guess you still have the remnants of that. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, that it came out. Sometimes it's subconscious, right? Yeah. It's like you write something and then you're like, oh, this is what I've been thinking about. Yeah, wow. (laughs) But you had also mentioned to me before that you transitioned from writing from the first-person narrative to the second-person narrative. Yes. Is this part of that?
1: Yes, okay. So um, my first two books... Um, are written in first person. Tell us the name. Oh, okay. So the first, my first book is Enduring Atlas. It's on Amazon. And my second book is Here We Dragons. It is mm-hmm. also on Amazon. My third book that I'm currently working on is called Wingless. It will be available on Amazon sometime in the next three to six months, hopefully. Okay. And I'm writing it exclusively in the second person. Um, there might be maybe a few poems in the first person, but I want to stick with second person because I love the way it's making me write. Mm. I love the way it's making me think in new ways. You have to think of new ways to express things when you're writing in second yes. person because you can't say, it made me feel this way. You have to say, and you felt this way. When this happened, you have to explain it in a new way. Mm-hmm. And it's so fascinating the way it changes your writing style.
0: Yes.
1: And I think it's made me a better writer. Oh,
0: yeah.
1: I definitely do. Mm-hmm. Because I used to write, and I still do because I've been writing things outside of wingless.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think because I wrote in an almost confessional manner. Mm. And now it's more, I wouldn't call it prose, but it's a little prosy. Mm. It's almost, how would I explain it? It's more purple, I guess, <laughs> in a way. Like your hair. Like my hair.
0: <laughs> I just dyed it. Um, is that like your favorite color or your color? Lavender. Now? Lavender. lavender.
1: I'm obsessed with lavender. <laughs> As you could probably tell if you read Wingless, mm. I'm obsessed with lavender and thistle currently. I got a mm. tattoo of lavender and thistle. Yes. It's one of my things right now. Just lavender and thistle and it's in probably three or four of my poems in Wingless I just keep coming back to it. Mm -hmm. It's just like the wings within the wing imagery Mm -hmm. and the floral imagery. I just keep coming back to it. And we talked about this. Yeah, we did. How I keep coming back to floral Mm -hmm. and fauna. And it's just, I keep coming back to it because it's a way to explain feeling. Mm. And it's Mm -hmm. so interesting. Like, I have this poem and... I wanted to incorporate both wings and flowers. Mm -hmm. So I did this thing where I explained where my wings were growing, Mm. but they were growing slowly. Mm -hmm. And the flowers were what the wings were made of. Oh, wow. And the flowers had meanings Mm -hmm. because each flower has a meaning. Yes. So each flower that grew was a part of the wing. Mm -hmm. and so because of the way that the wings grew that part of the wing had a meaning behind it like strength or determination or calming Mm -hmm. or anything like that you know Mm -hmm. so I wanted to incorporate both of those because wings are really important within wingless Mm -hmm. the wing imagery is so so important within this book Mm -hmm. because it's something that I've always held close to me the fact that wings and being wingless in general, I've always wanted to fly. Mm
0: -hmm, It's mm -hmm.
1: one of those childhood dreams that never went away. Right, right.
0: Well, it goes towards that Icarus obsession, right? Exactly.
1: (laughs) The Icarus obsession, and the fact that it should be a cautionary tale, but for me, it's just one of those dreams I want to fly.
0: Right. Well, I I don't think... I mean, the wonderful thing about Icarus is that because it's a cautionary tale, it's not saying you don't fly, but that you don't get too carried away. don't get carried away. Exactly. Exactly. And Icarus' tale is so sad
1: because he was locked away for so long. He was imprisoned with his father.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. For
1: like, I think it was his entire life. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. Um, (laughs) But... He was imprisoned, and his father made him these wings made of wax and feathers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And his father told him to not fly too close to the sun, mm-hmm. but he flew because he was free and it was beautiful. And he flew and he flew and he flew, but suddenly he was falling and mm-hmm. he fell into the sea
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he drowned.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's a side where people say he was in love with the sun, he was in love with Apollo.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or I say it was Helios because Helios is the god of the sun, not Apollo. Mm. But you know that's just my opinion. <laughs> um, whereas my sonnet says, "But what if he took that flight knowing it would be his last? Mm. What if he had that freedom that was his last freedom, and he wanted it to be his last? What if mm. he was self-aware?"
0: Mm. Okay. okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you? We should go back to your... Program. I know, I know. And, and, you know, before we go back to that, let's let's explore that a little bit, the idea of him knowing. It seemed like you, you researched the literature. A yeah. But do you find evidence supporting that possibility? Not really. <laughs> I just was just projecting to... on it. Chris. Okay, okay, yeah. But it's really interesting to see it from that perspective. Certainly, it gives him a lot more agency, right? Exactly, and it makes
1: him less, because a lot of... Greek mythological people, I can't find the word. (laughs) A lot of the figures, there we go, are proud and prideful and are arrogant. Right, pretty much
0: in keeping with the gods.
1: Exactly, (laughs) because you don't separate them from the gods so much. But I like to think that the humans, at least, had human aspects to them. Mm -hmm. And it's more interesting that way when. They are human when they do have human faults, mm. when they do have, let's say, mental illnesses, mm. because obviously they existed back then, so why not attribute that to a factor of him falling, you know? Right. right. And he had been locked away his entire life. Right. So well, it makes sense that. Yes. that he would be depressed. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, why not? And it, it's a poem and it's right. something that's personal to me. So I was like, I may as well do this. And also, sonnets have a twist. Mm-hmm. Sonnets have, there's the first stanza, and then there's the twist in the second stanza. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but what if?
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so that was my little twist. What, but what if he was self-aware? Right. What if he wanted to fall? Right. What if this? What if
0: that? Right. Yeah, I think it's great to explore the psychological aspect of Icarus and see what something like imprisonment would do in a realistic sense rather than yeah. just saying oh and then he flew too far but why why did he fly why so did high he fly because so of the
1: freedom because he wanted to feel it because not because he was arrogant not because he wasn't smart enough to know but because he wanted to feel that freedom before he fell mm. that's what i think
0: right
1: and also if you think about it from the standpoint of him being in love with um, the sun god mm. then he knew he was going to fall anyway right because you can't be in love with a god as a human and survive no tale has ever been had a happy ending with that (laughs) in mind so he knew he would fall but he wanted to feel that freedom he wanted to feel that love before he fell
0: right right it's to abandon all caution to love and to feel that even though you know in the back of your mind all these cautionary tales it doesn't matter Sometimes in the throes of love, you just throw yourself into it. Exactly, exactly. And and suffer the consequences. And I think
1: that's what makes Icarus so sad.
0: Mm. Because
1: if you think of it in in the aspect that he knew, that he knew he was going to die, but he did it anyway, Mm. I think he was brave.
0: Yeah, to know that you are not eternal and still go all out for that. There is a certain bravery to it. Just to get my to going a little bit, because even though this is a great, really interesting topic to talk about, your heavy, heavy heart. It seemed like when you were reading it, besides the steampunk aspect, it also reminded me of what you just said when you were talking about how you got into poetry. This epic battle, in many senses. The fighting is not obvious, but it's you, as the third-person narrator, looking at all aspects who am I as a person, and like, what does this mean? What does that mean? I'd love for you to walk us through it a little bit, starting with how, why you decided to write this particular poem.
1: So I'm very self-aware, especially when it comes to my mental illness and my depression. Mm -hmm. And that's mostly what I write about. I write about mental illness because I think that people need to read about it. Mm -hmm. I think it's something that needs to be spoken of. Mm -hmm. Because there is still that giant stigma about it. Mm -hmm. And so I don't exactly set out to write about things that need to be read. I write about things that I need to write about. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so for this one, I start at the beginning of poems. I don't start in the middle. I don't start at the end. I don't start with a single line. I start at the beginning and then I write it to the end. Mm -hmm. I have always been that way. And so I started out with, your heart is fit to burst. Mm-hmm. And from there, it just kind of went. It was kind of hard to write, because I was in a really bad place when I wrote it. Mm-hmm. Seasonal depression is a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Even here, huh? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I started writing this in, I think, I wrote this in November. I think it was either October or November. I think it was November. Okay. And So you're really sensitive to the temperature change as well. Yeah, the temperature change is awful. I actually figured out this year that it was a seasonal thing mm. because I have other mental illness stuff going on that's a constant thing, mm. but I didn't realize that it had been... A common factor in winter until this year and okay. I have a poem about that it's called I'll have that seasonal flavored depression <laughs> um <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. yeah it's kind of funny and so for this one it was a lot of frustration mm-hmm. but also there was hope yes because I am kind of a being made of hope Mm -hmm. Anyone who has ever met me will tell you that. Anyone who has read my poetry will tell you that. Mm -hmm. My poetry kind of radiates hope. Mm. And it's hard for me to write a poem without there being at least a little bit of a happy ending, Mm. which is kind of hard for me. It kind of stems from the fact when I wrote a song when I was probably 12 or 13 and then I went through the process of having it recorded. The guy I was recording it with told me I had to rewrite the ending because it didn't have a happy ending. Mm. He was like, no one wants to hear a song without a happy ending. <laughs> and that really stuck with me.
0: Right.
1: So from then on, I had to write things with happy endings. And I'm still breaking that habit because not everything has a happy ending.
0: Right. Not right.
1: everything can be cleaned up in a box at the end.
0: Right. right.
1: So I'm still breaking that habit right. and... I have this poem called Fuck the Hopeful Ending. And, it, <laughs> and at the end, it's still hopeful. And it's it bugs the shit out of me. <laughs> because <laughs> I try so hard to just let a poem be what it's supposed to be. Mm. And I think I, I do pretty good at that. But sometimes at the end, I like having two strong lines at the end at least. Mm. Or at least one strong line. The end of this one is you'll find a way to survive somehow. And that really hits home. Because Mm -hmm. um, this entire poem is about who I am. It's what I'm made of, basically. Mm -hmm. It's what makes me me. And like you said, it's kind of Mm -hmm. like it's from a third-person point of view. Mm -hmm. Because it is so self-aware. And it was hard to write because it kind of hurt Mm -hmm. being so self-aware. Mm. knowing what makes me tick, Mm -hmm. knowing what hurts, knowing exactly why this hurts, knowing what's going on, and knowing why I am the way I am.
0: Do you feel like you're giving away too much?
1: I don't think so. I think poetry is there for me to express what I'm Mm -hmm. feeling, Mm -hmm. exactly what I'm feeling without having to hide anything at all. Mm -hmm. I have poetry that's way more personal like this it's metaphorical
0: mm.
1: there's similes there's there's
0: a lot of imagery there's yeah. so much imagery
1: <laughs> there's so much imagery it's it's actually it's pretty vague in a way but it's not vague at all mm. it's really it teeters that line you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. where it tells you exactly what it means but in the same in my aspect, it doesn't tell you anything.
0: Yeah, it does require research, requires certain knowledge. If people don't know steampunk, that image wouldn't gel. Or if they don't know that there are meanings behind the name of fauna and flowers, they might not. In a way, I feel like you've, you've given a map of yourself through this poem, but it still needs to be decoded.
1: Exactly. It's like a puzzle. Mm-hmm. Okay, you have to piece it together. It's... Hemlock and Nightshade are two extremely poisonous flowers. Yes. Like, they are deadly. They are yes. so poisonous. Then there's Titanium, which is a very, very strong metal.
0: Mm-hmm. But... Like that song. It's a great song. It's
1: such a good song. <laughs> um, but it can still break.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's hard. It's yeah. so hard. But it can still break.
0: Yes.
1: And then... I really like the stained glass window stanza. That's one of my favorites. I like the
0: contrast because Mm -hmm. you go from metal and then you go into stained glass window, which is both beautiful and fragile and hard to make. Mm -hmm. All of these processes, you know, it just talks about the complexities of being a human being using different aspects that we find in the material world.
1: Exactly. And I like how... Because a stained glass window, none of them are exactly the same. Mm. Because they're so complex, and yeah. they're so hand-made. hard to make.
0: Yeah.
1: And they're handmade, and everyone has an artist's signature to them. Because they're made by different artists, they're so different, and they're so complex. And brains are the same way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every person's brain is different. There is no brain that is the exact same way. No. The brain yeah. chemistry is going to be different in every single person's brain. And that's why I like the imagery of stained glass window and brains together. Mm. Because they're like snowflakes in a way. Mm -hmm. There's not one that's going to be the exact same.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned snowflakes because that's what I'm going to mean. (laughs) Exactly. I read your
1: poem on the way here and I I was was like, oh wait, snowflakes. Hey, way to tie in your
0: poem. Thank you. There is definitely that because, you know, our brains don't stop forming after we're born. They don't. It they continues they... throughout our lives. And even if it gets damaged, it, it could heal, but not necessarily healing the part that was damaged. Mm-hmm. But using different methods, there are scarring just like what we see on our bodies, the rest of our bodies. Yeah. So it's it's really nice to see that and see you tie that into something so delicate as well. It's beautiful and both difficult to make and also handcrafted. Yes. It's very personal. It's very individual. It's very unique.
1: Yeah. And I like the minute fracture because in a way brain chemistry and if it's messed up that's a minute fracture in and of itself Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. like if you have a mental illness that's a minute fracture Mm -mm. that that can turn into a giant fracture that can shatter your brain Mm -hmm. and so tying that into it i just love that line so much because it means a lot and You can't really tell because I glaze over it pretty fast but this entire stanza is so important to this poem because the line the pieces cut and make you bleed golden light but they cut you all the same they cut and they cut the pieces that are fractured they cause depression they cause mania they cause so many different things when it comes to mental illness and yeah they make cause good things sometimes but they still cut and they still cause harm and people may not see that but you see that you know
0: just this morning i read somebody who wrote on twitter that you know both artists and teachers have to know that art doesn't necessarily have to come from pain i saw that too oh did you i did (laughs) (laughs) Which is true. At the same time, there's a lot of art that do come from very strong emotions, and that pain is one of those factors that cause strong emotions. Mm -hmm. And so it was really interesting to read that and then hear what you talk about, the fracturing and the fact that mental illness, especially when it's not addressed, well, both not addressed and not understood, it could lead to worsening. At the same time, some people are able to create the most amazing art out of it. I don't know if you know, a few years ago, there was an article about schizophrenic patients who were doing these incredibly intricate drawings. Yes. Yeah, Maybe it was The Atlantic. I can't remember. It was years ago that I read that. And it's just amazing. And also there were other articles about how the author himself had severe mental illness, but he wanted to explore what that mental illness can lead to because obviously he became an author, became a journalist, investigative journalist, I think. But he was writing about these, I think, serial murderers who had exactly the same mental illness. So it could be a trunk that branches into a very large tree whose branches really have nothing to do with each other besides their root. Yeah. So it's very interesting on seeing how mental illness can, A, if it's not addressed, it can cause severe harm to the individual as well as society. But B, that it doesn't always necessarily have to end up in tragedy.
1: Exactly. Yeah, just because you're mentally ill and you, for whatever reason, you can't receive help, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that it's the end for any reason. Right. Like you can get help eventually there's so many different ways to receive help
0: mm-hmm.
1: i don't have the um, resources for that right now mm-hmm. but there are so many different ways to do that it's so fascinating because you can triumph from this you mm-hmm. know your mental illness is not the end all be all of who you are
0: yes yes just sidetrack track a little bit and Want to ask you since you are willing to talk about this, how do you feel about after all these mass shootings? There's always the pointing of, oh, because this person was mentally ill, as if somehow there's a straight line between mental illness and mass shootings.
1: So here's the thing I'm not an expert, but at the same time, I'm severely mentally ill. I have never once in my life ever thought about picking up a gun. Mm. There's not always a direct line there's not always a direct link just because someone is mentally ill that does not excuse or even mean that they're going to do something that awful Mm -hmm. you know it boggles my mind it's awful because it adds to the stigma yeah the fact that we're relying on the fact that they were mentally ill the fact that we are drawing attention to the fact that hey this guy was bipolar. Hey, this guy was schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. Hey, this guy was kind of depressed sometimes. Like right.
0: sometimes it's reaching, right? It's-
1: exactly. Like hey, this guy was a narcissist. Okay, so is our president. What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> the correlation isn't always there, you know? Right. Like right. it doesn't really make sense all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. It
1: it's really frustrating on my end because it kind of hurts in a way I because can yeah. yeah because it's keeping people from talking about their mental illness. Right. It's keeping people from reaching out for
0: help. Right, because you think because, people would think, "Oh, because he's that, therefore he's going to he's A, therefore he's going to do B." Right? Exactly. Yeah.
1: And I would never think that way about anyone or about myself, but there are kids out there. And oh my god, the fact that mental illness is growing so much, especially in the younger generation, the Gen mm-hmm. Z kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And because of the fact that there's so much pressure on them in school and because they're terrified to go to school, there's so much anxiety growing, and from that anxiety comes depression. Yeah. And sometimes from that depression comes mania. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that depression turns into bipolar disorder, and sometimes that bipolar disorder turns into schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. And from there, it just spirals and spirals and spirals so mental illness is becoming an even bigger epidemic than it already was and it was already an epidemic an epidemic
0: right
1: and kids are scared to talk about it because of the way we are talking about it
0: right Just a lot of judgment with it and not objective judgment exactly or like very negative judgment
1: and there's so many people that are helping there's this one guy, his name's um, Demetrius Harman, something, he's on Twitter. He has this um, campaign called the You Matter campaign, mm. and he sells hoodies that say like you matter or on the wrist, like where he used to self-harm, mm. and he sells those hoodies and it helps people so much because whenever they go to self-harm, they see you matter or he has other messages on the wrist of the hoodies. And so there are people out there who are doing great things mm-hmm. who are helping the stigma yes. but at the same time there's not enough people helping the stigma there's not enough people who are talking about it
0: yeah and when we see these tragedies happen which happens way too often it's it's, it's a way of control <laughs> yes that's the thing that people don't want to talk about more not people but specific people more like in politics for yeah. instance that don't want to talk about us so they point the spotlight to something to to scapegoat mm-hmm. and we think of the history of the treatment of mental illness and the treatment of the mentally ill and it has not been fair it continues to be very unfair people with mental illness and other disabilities were more likely in their Interactions with the system, with the police, for instance, oh my God. to be, become
1: victims. I hope whoever's listening, you never call the police on someone who is having an episode because that leads to tragedy.
0: Yeah, and, and <laughs> that in itself is the tragedy because it's not always possible for somebody who's not experiencing that mental illness. To understand that it's mental illness and that it's addressable without the authorities. Yeah. And so they want to call the police because in their mind, maybe in their interactions, they've not had the sort of negative interaction that results in a death, results in such physical harm that they would think, okay, I'm never going to call the police and that is the tragedy, because the police are supposed to be public servants. They're supposed to be the first line of defense to help the public. But they end up becoming executioners.
1: Exactly. They are judge during executioners. And especially with mentally ill, especially with minorities, especially mm-hmm. with the disabled. Yes. And it's just, there's no training there. There's <laughs> There's arrogance there. There's so much going on there that I can't even, like address it properly
0: (laughs) yeah it's it's a it's a huge problem and i i think you might have heard from the other episodes we're talking about shooting of minority men especially african-american men african-american male youth such a prevalent problem and i guess one of the things is that police is that they belong to a municipality and the training is not at all uniform throughout the country so it depends on and also it depends on the individual. So it comes down to the individual empathy of the police officer, and certainly there are many who are good people. Yeah, but then, you can't deny
1: that. Yeah, at the same time, when you belong to a system of authority and that authority is corrupt in itself.:
0: Yes, the system itself doesn't lend uh, avenues for correcting these problems. and I feel like police work is the sort of stressful work that also tends to cause mental illness. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Which is not addressed. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: It all comes down to mental illness at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> Unaddressed mental illness. Yes, yes. Especially PTSD.
0: Yes. It's something that we need to understand that, that happens.
1: This country is a cesspool of PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think honestly... Probably and I am not as, um, I don't know statistics on this, but honestly, probably one in five Americans have PTSD.
0: I wonder. I mean, it seems to be quite wide scale, but we should we should definitely we get should. an expert on this. Yes, we should. I would try to I would try to research that before the episode airs, so that maybe we can we can put that. Because I episode. want to know that because I yeah. do want to know
1: how many people have PTSD in America because so many people witness and shootings, so many people witness tragedy. Yes,
0: yeah, especially with the media coverage, so people actually witness more. Because they don't necessarily have to be at the scene. Exactly.
1: You witness it live, and you never know how something is going to affect someone.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because
1: you don't have to be at the place to get PTSD from that mm-hmm. event. Mm-hmm. Well, so many people in the world got PTSD from 9-11. Like, so many people got PTSD from that. And they didn't even have to be in New York from getting, to get that.
0: Yeah. Part of it came down to the chaotic way in which it was reported. Which, there's nothing that could really prevent that from happening. You but, know. <laughs> but it was just... Because I was watching... I was living in New York at the time. And I, I started just going through my phone book and calling all my friends. Yeah. And at the time, it was just like, oh, this is on fire. That plant crashed. We thought the Washington Mall was on fire. And it was reported. That was reported at some point. And it was just absolutely insane. Until I... In the afternoon, I walked outside. And it was... In a different borough, but close enough. But it was completely calm, completely quiet. It was so eerie, the juxtaposition, the the difference in mood between what I was watching on TV and the neighborhood that I was living in. It's like a totally different world. It's like I step into a completely different time. And it must have
1: been terrifying.
0: It was. It was so terrifying because there were people that I couldn't get in touch with. Uh, anyway, before we go too far down this rabbit hole, <laughs> i like to go back to what you were saying about snowflake and read my poems yes. and we can talk about that. Maybe Hopefully we'll get on to a happier topic, <laughs> even though neither of us really believe in happy endings. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> snowflake, phase transition. I am indifferent to your suffering, as cold as I am alluring So sure of my uniqueness, even as I disintegrate on your fingertip. Like a teardrop to merge into the gray waterfall of life's traffic, flowing along, invigorated, unstoppable, gushing, retching. Agony reverberates like echoes. Every word is a multifaceted blade, wounding the tendrils of my senses, no matter how careful it's wielded. Emotions so fine, yet so strong like spider silk, securing the incurable cuts to extract, rejuvenate a pain through each quiver and vibration, oscillating in ceaseless turbulence.
1: So I love this for so many different reasons, but I just want to know what brought it on. What was on your mind when you wrote it?
0: I wrote this to a prompt to a contest. Really? Yeah, and it was supposed to be about snowflake.
1: Seriously? Yes. Yes. Really?
0: Yeah. That's so
1: fascinating.
0: (laughs) So I just thought about what it could mean, and I don't know if it's clear. This first stanza is more about the physical phenomenon. Yeah, definitely. And the second one is much more emotional. Emotional. I thought about what makes people call snowflakes. What's this uniqueness of, of that we think of snowflakes, which they are, at the same time because they're so fragile, they're so ephemeral that their uniqueness quickly turn into a drop in the ocean or drop in the torrent. So I wrote it really to that prompt. Really? Yeah.
1: That's so interesting. <laughs> oh, it's just there's so many lines in there, just like the catching, reaching, the. But rejuvenating the oh the oscillating the words that you used your word choices were just so what's the word? I don't even know, it's just <sighs> I'm having trouble with words right now because you <laughs> took all of them. I'm sorry. Um no it was beautiful. It's Thank just you. the way it flows mm-hmm. is so fascinating mm-hmm. because I read it differently than you did. Mm-hmm. And so to hear it in your voice is so cool. Thanks. Yes, Yes. because I read it a little bit slower, Mm. a little bit harsher, Mm. and you read it a little bit softer but with an edge to it. Mm. And I think that's fascinating. You know, when you read someone's poem and then you hear them read it themselves.
0: Exactly. There's such a difference in hearing a poem read... Or perform; those are two different experiences in themselves. And then reading it, and sometimes the writer will breathe a different meaning to it depending on how their breathing patterns, and that is separate from their line breaks. I feel like this particular poem actually has cleaner line breaks than some of my other poems. Yeah, it's just wraps; this idea just wraps around to other lines. And and to tell you the truth, I. Did. Before I submitted this poem, I completely changed the second stanza so that the first stanza would flow into the second stanza. The first version I had, the two were more separate. And I worked on it, the second stanza especially.
1: I like the way they flow into each other. Yeah, thank you. It's, yeah. it's
0: awesome. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I just I chose it because I felt like your poem really examines on an individual. Somebody might call you a snowflake because you feel so much. Yeah. And your poem has that, all the sensitivity, the strength, but the oscillation between pain and hope and weakness and strength, all this dichotomy that's coming together. And it made me think of this poem. And I was afraid a little bit that it might offend Because it certainly was not meant for that. It was more a definitional. Yeah, thank
1: you. Oh, I love the way you just described my poem. Thank you. No, I think it's interesting. It's because the way that we see special snowflakes Mm -hmm. is, I love how you could hear the (laughs) The um, air quotes quotes in my (laughs) voice. Um, (laughs) Because the way that we've The way we as society has attached a stigma of itself to that is weird, kind of, because snowflake is supposed to be a good thing. Snowflake is supposed to be a special, beautiful, unique thing, Mm -hmm. and we've turned it into, oh, this millennial is a special snowflake kind of thing. And it's interesting.
0: It is, but I don't necessarily think it's generational more,
1: although it does
0: have that aspect because, you know, as we go back, look back into the history of the generations, further back we go, uh, actually, to a certain period, you know, more recent history. We're supposed to be strong. We're supposed to just, you know, almost stiffen our upper lip, which is more like a British thing. Yeah. You know, so we've come away from that heritage, or the perceived stereotype heritage
1: mm-hmm.
0: to a more willingness to talk about things to more willingness to listen obviously not on the part of somebody who would say snowflake you're just a yeah. snowflake right but i think again it belies the fact that previous generations experienced the same emotions same trauma yeah you know in different incidents but the feelings are there; they were just buried, and it leads to some of the pandemic or epidemic of mental illness that yeah. we see because we live through our parents' pain. Yeah,
1: you know? yeah we their do
0: traumas. Even if they stay married for "quote unquote" for our sake, mm-hmm. we felt the alienation they felt. Yeah, you
1: know, and. I've had this conversation recently where I think it's amazing the fact that little boys, especially little black boys, are able to express their emotions now. And they're able to actually publicly feel things. And they don't have to hide away. They don't have to be, like, the man. They Like, boys don't have to hide their emotions anymore. They can hug their friends. They can be emotional they don't have to hide who they are anymore and I think it has to do a lot with the fact that people like characters on tv are doing that now Mm -hmm. and so they have those good influences Mm -hmm. and and influences in their lives like personal factors like their dads are doing it and their some sometimes grandfathers are doing it uncles are doing it And I think it's such an incredible thing because it means that this generation of boys is going to be so much more emotionally adept than previously, previous generations, hopefully anyway. And that just means that in future generations, as generations go on more and more, that means that they're going to be even more open and more like their EQ is going to be so much more more higher than previous generations
0: hopefully hopefully hopefully. you know and we don't you know it's not unfortunately time or history or society doesn't travel in a straight line it would be nice or well sometimes if it's traveling in the wrong direction hopefully it's not traveling in a straight line but you know we have this dichotomy of experiences right now right there there is a strong force trying to pull us, I don't necessarily think it's backward, but to a place where they, Im- they imagine is the good old times. And then there is a sh- also an opposing strong force, lot, many times by, by the current generation, by the younger generation, but also people of older generation who are sensitive to the need for, for this direction, to go into the ability to understand each other, to talk about our individual differences, and also to come to some kind of understanding and and acceptance of both our differences and what we share in common. So there are these opposing forces. I mean, it's not a cleanly cut thing either. It's, It's very much, there's a lot of fuzzy edges around all of this. But I think... Now more than ever, we see them more strongly because of the polarization of our current politics. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. It's fascinating because the way we see things, it's on social media, mm-hmm. you see the opposite sides cut very cleanly, mm-hmm. but then you go into the real world and it's not as cleanly cut. No, no. And so, you're right. It's just, there's two opposing sides, but there's also, there's people who are in the middle, and there's people who are trying to stay neutral when there's not a neutral territory anymore. You can't stay neutral when there's stuff like this going on, you know?
0: Yeah, and I don't necessarily feel like the opposing sides are actually opposing each other, in, in that their underlying needs are very similar. To have security, to feel yeah. security, to want to live a good life, to be able to, to express themselves without feeling rejected.
1: It's just what they want is completely different.
0: Yeah, I mean, some, some parts of it <coughs> is that people, some people who want to express themselves see it as a false dichotomy as if I express myself then you necessarily cannot express yourself which is not true yeah you know the world's still despite the overpopulation, <laughs> there's still a lot of room yeah because it's not all physical. So it, it's very interesting to see all of that happening and to be able to, to live in this really feel like just such a chaotic time.
1: Yeah, and as someone who loves chaos, there's a different kind of chaos going on. I don't love this kind of chaos. (laughs) Nobody. (laughs) I don't think many people do. It's just, as a trans man, it's kind of hard living in this society. Mm -hmm. Being white helps, definitely. (laughs) Um, So I have that privilege. But being trans is really hard right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Like... There's this one weird, I think it's a bill or a law or something that's trying to get passed right now by Trump, where doctors can refuse to treat us.
0: Oh, wait. yeah. that's something you, I haven't heard, I thought you were going to refer to the born with the, you're the gender of the genitals you were born with. There's that one too. Yes. Yeah, there's, there's,
1: there's a few different ones going on right now. Like, there's so many things going on. But the fact that he's saying that he, they're trying to pass something that can get doctors to refuse to treat us is dangerous.
0: It's incredibly dangerous. And again, going back to what I was saying before, it's like, how does this affect you? Exactly. It's like, it's
1: what's in my pants is none of your business. Yeah. Like, come on, man. Just like, I am who I say I am. Why can't you just believe me why is that so hard for you i don't understand
0: yeah it's weird right because when it comes to transgender identity he's like okay i see i need to see some physical evidence here and then when it comes to climate change he's like forget the physical evidence let's go with what i believe in right, right. so it's a real paradox it's, yeah a- it's a little bit of
1: frustrating it's like oh you want to see what's in my pants i'm sorry i didn't know wait no i did know you were that much of a pervert yeah mm.
0: yeah no we own you he did preview we did that. know
1: he, we we've we've been new
0: yeah he previewed that pretty hard he, yeah he, he took yeah. out an entire campaign on that yeah we've always known <laughs> yeah and that's why we're like oh, damn it some people just didn't see those commercials
1: <laughs> you know? uh. But going back to the being trans thing, it's most dangerous for Black trans women because yeah. they're the ones that are most often being killed.
0: Yeah, they're disappearing and nobody talks about it. I think nobody talks about it. I think there's a nonprofit that's specifically, at least one that I know of that I can't think of right now. But
1: I think it's either in like Chicago or New York or
0: something. I think it's somewhere else. Really? Really, I, I think it's not. I imagine Chicago and New York has its own thing. Yeah. Um, partly because that's where a lot of trans people go to escape the stigma of their own little, whatever town they come from. Mm-hmm. I forget where exactly this organization operated that, I don't want to say Florida for some reason, but don't quote me on it. I can't even remember the name, but they do talk about transgender women especially that get disappeared because, again, some of it is just guys who are attracted to them and find out who they really are become incredibly insecure in themselves. Yeah. And don't know how to deal with that, that gray area of identity. Yeah. You know, and they're like, and because of that, I need to get rid of you and because you're sort of the evidence of the guilt that I feel. You're mm-hmm. the manifest, physical manifestation yeah. of the guilt I feel. So it's really problematic and I feel I feel like... I'm hoping you're right in terms of we are talking more about, expressing more about who we are. And I I hope we're going toward more of that and that both men and women can talk. And, you know, as you said, little boys now are more encouraged because through media, through their immediate surroundings as well, to talk about their feelings. And I hope that is the case because really this gender identity thing obviously doesn't just hurt women it hurts the spectrum of genders. Yeah, exactly. That's between men and women and you know just everything everything that we don't clearly understand that do manifest in nature that we have not been able to pay attention to partly because trans are a minority in terms of number. Mm-hmm. So people don't see it they just think of it as some some kind of you know like
1: because it's like we've always been around like since the dawn of humankind we have always been around just because there hasn't been a name for it doesn't mean that we don't exist you know and first
0: nations
1: have allows that
0: um yes um, two-spirited it's
1: i think it's two-spirit
0: yeah two-spirited is one way of saying it i think there's some there's some other ways I mean, it depends on the nation as well. So exactly. People who do pay attention. They, they have this has occurred. I wonder if we do a literary research. there's got to be talking. About yeah, that. and also
1: you have to think about the societies that have fallen. like how far did they get within their acceptance of everything before the society fell mm-hmm. and how much literary um, evidence did we lose mm-hmm. because the society fell? Right. The Roman Empire. They had, um, they had gay friggin' um, warriors. They had gay, um, like, armies. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so you have to think about when it comes to the transgender identities, you have to think that at least they were okay with that.
0: Yeah, and Greeks didn't really categorize us. We did as like, okay, you sleep with guys? You must be gay. And, you know, yeah. it was much more fluid. There was a lot more yeah. fluidity both to gender as well. It, actually, not. I'm not sure about gender identity, but certainly sexual preferences is much and, more fluid. But
1: there was also the androgyny mm-hmm. that was in the Greek. Mm. So there's that, at least. So you have to think the societies that have fallen were probably much more advanced than we think when it comes to gender and sexuality, at least because, like, there have been so many, like, marriage burials that we found that have been men, two men or two women, and people have desecrated burial grounds because they don't want people to know that there were two women here, or there were two men here, so they'll, like, disfigure the um, hip bones or the pelvic um, area so Mm. that you can't tell that it's two women or whatever, Mm. and it's awful and disgusting and despicable and it's just it's so wild to think about that homophobia and
0: transphobia runs that deep yeah that we would go back and change try to change history change historical facts that we would try to erase the past to sue our ideal of what it should be yeah even though it doesn't you know we can't change that i I forget how many species in the entire animal kingdom I looked this up. I will look it up again. I will post the link on the episode notes <laughs> just document the species or I think hundreds in the hundreds that's been documented that have homosexuality as a natural yes. occurring thing. And, and that, you know, we cannot explain everything just by this idea of progeny of Of reproductive success because sometimes in those studies they found that homosexual pairings actually helped orphaned offspring to raise those offsprings and also I feel like we need to kind of get away from the idea of okay you only exist we only accept your existence if there's a purpose to your existence
1: exactly like I shouldn't have to give birth to be valid as a human being no person with ovaries should have to give birth to be a valid person you know yeah like that's not what existence should be about
0: right i if, mean just because you have something doesn't mean you have to use it you know exactly it's like what if people decide uh, Oh, you're not using your fingernails today. Let's pull them all off. Oh my God, no! <laughs> it, not, but you know the logic. It's it's, it's that ridiculous. Way. Yeah, in, in many ways, it's like oh, you don't use it, then you are no longer part of this uh, group for some reason. You know, it's like uh, yeah, we have it. Just because we have it doesn't mean we have to use it. Yeah. Just because we don't use it doesn't mean we stop being belonging to certain yeah so yeah there's a lot of frustration with all of this anyway i really appreciate being able to talk with you about all of this and it's wonderful to have another take on similar situations especially with the police brutality with the violence that's visited upon uh, marginalized minority groups uh, um, but also seeing it from a transgender perspective of what it means to self-identify to like your version of icarus to have some agency over who you are as a person in life so thank you yeah of course thank you i I
1: had a lot of fun
0: good good (laughs) i'm glad now just to let our listeners know where are you going to read next
1: um i will be reading at the lost leaf just thursdays is usually it's every second second and and fourth. fourth thursday is where i will be reading
0: That's the Phoenix Poetry Slam hosted by Long Known Publishing. And how do people find you on social media?
1: If you want, you can find me on Instagram. It's wasteland underscore cryptid. I don't have a Twitter currently for my poetry, but I will be making one soon and I will let you know. Great. My books are Enduring Atlas and Here Be Dragons, and those are both by Atlas St. Cloud, and you can find them on
0: Amazon. Wonderful. And I will put those links up on the episode notes and in the newsletter, so make sure to subscribe. Thank you so much for your time. Thank
1: you for having me. Of course.
0: It was a pleasure.
1: It was.
0: According to the National Institute of Health, which had data from 2001 to 2003, an estimate of 3.6% of U.S. adults, that's about 4 out of, if you want to round up, 4 out of 100 age 18 or older, had PTSD in the previous 12 months. Again, this is for data between 2001 and 2003. Of that, 3.6% of U.S. adults, females had three times more prevalence of PTSD than males, 5.2% for females and 1.8% for males. In terms of PTSD, in adolescents, they're talking about between age 13 and 18. Again, they have data for 2001 through 2004. It's about 5% of adolescents in the U.S., which, again, is 5 out of 100 adolescents. And for females, is almost four times higher at 8% than males, 2.3%. Again, this is the data from the National Institute of Health, and I will post that link on the episode notes. In terms of homosexuality in other species of animals, the BBC in 2005 published an article that said hundreds of species. It doesn't really specify exactly how many species but also it makes a difference between homosexual behavior or homosexual acts and the prevalence of homosexuality. So there's been observations of animals who will have sexual activity with others of the same gender, but they, it might not happen on a regular basis. I will also put that link in the episode notes. As always, you can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Imogen Arate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.